back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. This is Kevin Kiermeyer's walk-up song. Is it? Yeah. Do you read my tweets or nah? Uh, I mean, I don't see yeah. them all. I, do you want me to turn notifications on? I hope you should, yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to be able to update you. I tweeted out a couple guys' new, uh, new walk-up songs, and this was it. Hustlin' by Rick Ross. Do you even read my tweets? <laughs> you know we got push notifications on for, though? Jeff Merrick. Of course. Jeff Merrick. Of for what? Jeff Merrick show. What? Insider. What, what, what do I do that's consistently Oh, you've got tweets about... One of the most powerful <laughs> accounts in hockey. Sprong and oh, geez. co. Sprong, yeah, that's it. It's my... My my weird That's your brand. fascination with Daniel Sprung. That's yeah, it. Fourth line twenty goal scorers. Hey, we all got to find our niche, right? Why not? Uh, That's you, well, you own know, the I'll, Sprung talk. That's your thing. <laughs> you own the Sprung. A broadcaster pushes up glasses. You know, uh, five on five. He has the highest points per sixty in the NHL. There you go. David is sixteenth. So take that. It's time to raise some awareness about <laughs> the Sprung talk that we've been missing on the airwaves. Uh, how's it going, Jeff? Uh, it's good. Hey, let's Justin. Good morning. How's everyone today? We're good. So good time last night. Hey, how much, how much are Jays fans going to love Kiermaier? It's he's already taken everyone's heart and, uh, he yep. firmly grasps it because he does not yep. only offense, defense, crazy diving catches. He's got the moments bullpen. on the mic. He's got the presence in the dugout. Yeah. Like he's this, he's got it all. He's a full complete yeah. package and he, his old dreamy eyes, as making, Jamie Campbell says. Making fans feel something, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. There's a lust yeah. for him, to say the least. Yes, I uh, I get it. Like, sign me up. Like, this outfield's exciting, man. Like, this outfield's a lot of fun. Like, it's... I know last year was all about, you know, the personality and the jackets and the celebration and mixing fruit cocktails on the bench, but, <laughs> man, this is a good-looking team. It's a good-looking squad. It really is. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun and a lot of fun down at the ballpark for sure. So we had one eye on that, and we had one eye yep. on the Maple Leafs and the Lightning last night. Now, we know there's a book on Michael Bunting, right? Like, we know he's not getting the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I wonder, though, is there a book on yeah. the Lightning and Leafs? Because there were a lot of penalties last night, and it felt like they were trying to set some sort of precedent. We saw it last year in the postseason, yeah. all those penalties early. Like, are the refs going to allow these two teams to play when we get to the actual real thing? Yes, 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 absolutely they will. Um, I, I think that, too, I mean, you guys know this, like two things change in playoff hockey. Um, players change, every shift counts, finish your check, all those things, and the referees change as well. And I'm fine with all of it. It's a, it's a different level. It's a different layer of, uh, of, of nastiness. And here's, here's the one thing that I think we can all be on the same page here about. Like, we'll, we'll just sort of, we'll all sort of stop this narrative that we have about the Tampa Bay Lightning about being, you know, you know, nice, skilled hockey players look at the pretty passing oh look at Kucherov does he even roll his wrists on his shot oh it's so Hmm. amazing and those Stamkos one-timers and they're so beautiful this is a team that's really nasty to play against like they're the they're the ones like with the uh, the with the with the nice guy smile and the knife behind their back (laughs) like that's been the Tampa Bay like just to be blunt like there's some real pricks on that team like, I think it's great, and I think it's great for playoffs, and I think it's part of their success story. But we all need to be all on the same page here. As seductively skilled as Tampa is, there's a really, really healthy mix of pricks on this team. And, <laughs> you know, they've been able to bully their way through the NHL, too, with a nice smile, and the coach is great. And they got super skilled guys that win tons of trophies and look in that room and count the Hall of Famers. Oh, there's Kucherov. Oh, there's Stamkos. Oh, there's Hedman. Oh, there's Vasilevsky. This is a nasty team to play. 
ask anyone who's ever played Tampa. That is a nasty team to play against. And I think that, you know, what, what Luke Shen did last night with, with Patrick Maroon was, was not coincidental. Or sorry, it wasn't an accident. I think that was a deliberate, we're not going to be pushed around here, not this team. Seductively skilled. I thought that was the Kevin Kiermeyer experience. Mm. Uh, Holy alliteration, Batman. (laughs) So we saw Matthew Nyes uh, in back-to-back nights. Uh, Does Ryan O'Reilly owe him a dinner for uh, tapping that in last night? It's great, eh? What a chisel, huh? How much do players like that? Oh, yeah, I got my first NHL goal. Now, now, personally, I don't think that thing was going to dribble in. I don't know that it had the momentum to dribble in, and Ryan O'Reilly just... Doing what any like in 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 any situation, that's what an NHLer is, and then you can almost get the sense that right away he realized, oh man, I just chiseled this kid's first goal. <laughs> I feel so like now, you had to now, do it though. You're right. It, it totally, it totally had to do it. It's the right play at the right time, and you know, I, I what 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 did nice afterwards. Like right away, he came over and apologized for chiseling my first goal. I get it. <laughs> I, I I totally understand it. But now at least, like two games in, already nice has a story. Already has a martyr story. Oh, I would have had uh, my first goal, but uh, Ryan O'Reilly <laughs> chiseled it. Thanks, guy. <laughs> yeah, it's you know you you see it from game to game too. Like game one against the Florida Panthers. You know, I thought he was okay. You know, I don't think he did anything really to stand out or distinguish himself, and you can understand that. And I, I thought, like, from game one to game two, he was already starting to look more comfortable carrying the puck, starting to look more comfortable against the wall, and we're getting a sense of, you know, uh, how he can shoot as well and how he can strip pucks. So, you know, again, I always temper expectations about new players, about rookies, you know, just making their making their way into the NHL. I always try to encourage people to, to calm down about it, but, you know, right now, now, Matthew Nyes looks good. He's a good-looking hockey player. What he does from here on in, we'll see. But, you know, certainly the, the potential, and I would guess the, the expectation is there that the Maple Leafs have a, have a solid top-six winger here. Speaking of new faces on the Leafs, uh, they dressed the emergency backup goalie in three consecutive games, uh, getting a lot of faces Soon in to that be dressing. four. Oh, here we go. Soon, Soon, to, be Soon to be four. I wonder, <laughs> just like the pulse of what's going on. If you're like the equipment guy, too, you're just ripping through jerseys. You're just trying to figure it out. Um, the team, obviously, is probably feeling a little frustrated with all of this and the, the current system, I guess, and the, the league approving and de- declining and just a bit of a fiasco. It's not a great look. Um, do you think they'll readdress how they how they work this ATO e-bug situation in the postseason or yeah. just grind this out? It's a great question. I haven't heard that they're they're that concerned about the ATO goalie situation or the e-bug situation as much as the the NHL um, wants to have a sober second look at how teams are handling LTIR. I think that's more of a front burner issue than um, than e-bugs and, and goalies on ATOs. Now, the situation you know dressing you know Jeff Al- Jed Alexander and Nick Chenard and Matt Anuska and we'll see Samuel Richard on on Thursday. Make no mistake about it here. I I I, I it's it's going to raise eyebrows. You know Matt Berlin was one thing with the Oilers. Oh, that's kind of cute. And then Jet Alexander is another thing, and now you're seeing it consistently. Like, first of all, we should point out none of it contravenes the CBA. None of none of none of this contravenes. These are all agreed upon practices that when they put the CBA together, this was included. So I know we hear a lot about things with a lot of you know a lot of lip service to for the good of the game, and you know the spirit of the CBA, etc. The Maple Leafs aren't doing anything that contravenes um, the collective bargaining agreement. It may seem. 
more than awkward. But really, when it comes right down to it, they're disadvantaging themselves by putting in an inexperienced player in the lineup. I know a lot of goaltenders, you know, bubble goaltenders. Mike McKenna wrote a really good piece on this on, on Daily Faceoff from the from the player's point of view, from the you know, goalies on the bubble. And Mike, Mike, uh, Mike McKenna was one of those goaltenders that had to fight and claw even just to get a, a couple of games a season in the, in the NHL. Um, I know that those players don't like it. I think fans think it's kind of cool, but the Maple Leafs are disadvantaging themselves, even though the season is, is already wrapped up here. Now, I, I will point out one thing here. Um, I thought it was, because we talk about this sort of under the umbrella of, you know, the good of the game, the spirit of the game, what this does to the value of the game, etc. Last night's game was meaningless. Last night's game, it's a fun game to watch and, you know, sending messages for the playoffs and blah, 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 blah. But last night's game had, you know, no bore no consequence to the standings. The game that did bear consequence to the standings, they put their NHLer in there and Ilya mm-hmm. Samsonov. So there was still that, like, you know what? We're not going to hand the Florida Panthers points here. You know, we do respect that there are other teams, namely the Islanders and the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, where our decisions will affect them. So, in you know, as far as the integrity of the game goes, I will still make the argument that the Maple Leafs did respect the integrity of the game by putting Samson off in net in the game that counted. Because, you know, last night's game, does it count? Not really. You know, that, that bears, bears, bears nothing uh, for the standings. No, no, I think that's a good point. Uh, there would have been some upset people, I guess, if it did go the other way. I didn't necessarily think of that. But, yeah, everyone's well, co- everyone you, knows you know what? Yeah, go ahead. It would have been funny because it would have been, you know, it would have been, you know, Kyle Dubas messing with both Lou Lamarillo and Brian Burke. <laughs> that too, yeah. His general managers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, Toronto Maple there's, a, there's always an extra layer when it involves uh, the Maple Leafs, it seems. <laughs> uh, so you, one of the teams you touched on there, the Pittsburgh Penguins, they lose to the Chicago Blackhawks last night. And now oh, they are, it's, you know, it's going to be really, really difficult for them. They have They need everything to go right to get into the playoffs. Is that as devastating a regular season loss as we've seen in the Sidney Crosby era? It is for a few reasons. Um, this is why they kept the band together, right? This is why Latang resigned. This is why Malkin resigned. Just by the by the way, just as, a, as an aside on Malkin, this is the first year he's going to play 82 games since 2009. Like you've squandered a full season of Evgeny Malkin. Mm. Like, what's been the story of Malkin? Oh, super elite, going to the Hall of Fame, like all, all of it. Like, outstanding player, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy for a full season. But when he's in there, he's, you know, point plus a game uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They've just squandered a full, healthy season of Evgeny Malkin. This is why, you know, the Rust resigns and Malkin resigns and Latang resigns and keeping the band back together here. Um, I know that there were before, you know, the injuries you know, really dogged this team. And should they probably have done more at trade deadline to bring in some insurance in net? Probably. Should they probably have been in the Jonas Corposalo sweepstakes as much of a sweepstakes as, you know, Jonas Corposalo and the Columbus Blue Jackets were? Yeah, probably. Um, but this is, this, this is not why. Like, the Penguins doubled down on we're still good. And we're still competitive. And Fenway Sports, the new ownership, and I think that's something we need to keep in mind as well. There's new ownership here with the Pittsburgh Penguins. This is Fenway Sports, and we haven't seen the Fenway Sports group yet react 
to a negative situation with the Pittsburgh Penguins, I am very curious, Justin, at the end of all of this, like whether like when the, if the Islanders beat the Montreal Canadiens tonight and the Penguins are eliminated or it goes right down to the, the game against Columbus uh, tomorrow uh, for the Penguins. And, and if they exit, and you're right, they need help from the out-of-town scoreboard tonight big time. They're all Montreal Canadiens fans now. Um, I'm really curious to see how the new ownership, Fenway Sports here, reacts to a significant uh, and a significant season of disappointment because we haven't seen new ownership flex other than approving new contracts to Malkin, Latang, and Rust. I'm really curious to see what happens here. Be really disappointing if we just saw apathy because the last few years of Sidney Crosby's career should not be spent uh, on the outside looking in. Uh, quickly to the Western Conference. Yeah. I can't yep. decide what we're seeing because you guys laid it out. What was the Eastern Conference octagon, all this strength, the strength being the Eastern Conference and not <laughs> sure what we saw in the Western yeah. Conference. So I can't decide. Are we seeing an uprising right now for the teams like Colorado and Edmonton specifically in Dallas and Minnesota? A lot of teams playing better, it seems. Or is this just a leveling yeah. out of the competition? Is it strength out there? Or is it a lot of teams that are pretty good on the same level? That's a great question. Um, I think a lot of teams are scared of Colorado. I think a lot of teams are scared of a healthy Colorado and Gabriel Landeskog is, you know, one of the one of the wild cards here. I don't think anybody wants to touch a uh, a healthy Colorado Avalanche right now. They're, you know, they're they're looking like like I don't think they're as good as they were last year, but they're still probably good enough to win the Stanley Cup. I think there are some really good teams here. I know the Minnesota Wild have hit a little bit of a, a speed wobble here, but I and Joel Eriksson X inter, uh, injury um is a tough one. Um but like that that entire central division. Like I think Dallas can win the cup. I think Colorado can win the cup. I think, you know, as I mentioned with Minnesota, I think they can do a lot of damage uh, and knock key players out of the box here. I think uh, Vegas, provided they get goaltending, and if they have a healthy Mark Stone, it's great to see him back on the ice. I think they can really uh, do damage here and could come out of the Western Conference. I would love to see another Vegas-Colorado series. I would love to see that. And, you know, I think that we shouldn't obviously sleep on Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and we should mention Matthias home and the Edmonton Oilers because this is a team that just can't lose with Matthias. And like I know like there are a lot of people there are a lot of people in the Oilers organization that essentially followed Nashville for like what seemed like a month like just watching Ekholm and we wondered okay because there's the rumors about Eric Carlson and what it was going to take to bring Carlson in and too rich we're going to go a different direction with a different style of defenseman. Does the Ekholm deal not seem like maybe the best deal any team made at deadline? Like they cannot mm-hmm. lose, and he brought he brings a dimension to their blue line that they haven't had before. The defense just sort of settled has has been settled and sits a lot nicer with Matias Ekholm in there. So I, I think that there's to say nothing of Los Angeles too, who I know at, at times they can look wobbly, but there's still a it's a hundred point team. I think we're seeing it. You're you're right. Like I know we made a lot about the the Eastern Conference here. But I think we are seeing, you know, a, a much stronger West over the past month and a half. And there's some teams that should really make other teams nervous. And that starts with Colorado and, you know, provided Edmonton that provided Edmonton gets net minding, which is a caveat here. I think they can really do damage. But isn't that kind of the story of what we're seeing around the Western Conference? Like I mentioned Vegas. What's the first thing we mentioned? Well, if they can get net mining. I mentioned mm. Edmonton. Well, if they can get net mining. Los Angeles Kings. Well, if they can get net mining and say nothing on the Seattle Kraken. You know, can they survive on like, you know, the save percentages around, you know, the high 800s and, and low 900s? Not sure about that. So I think they're better. I just don't think right now outside of Colorado 
maybe Edmonton and Vegas that they really stack up that well against the East. Well, but who got, knows? Like whoever comes sprung. out of the East, I mean, East, East, <laughs> like and Seattle's got sprung. Damn it, that's and the Vince Trump Dunn card too. That's <laughs> I know. And Vince Dunn's another one that I really stumped for as well. But we'll see. I mean, whoever does come out of the East is going to be pretty beaten up. So mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe it's maybe it'll be a, an easier ride for whoever comes out of the West. All right. Well, a couple more regular season games uh, to solidify it all. Jeff, appreciate you joining us every Wednesday, and uh, enjoy the weekend. And we'll chat next week. Canada, Sweden, USA, Germany, Czechia, Finland, Switzerland, it's gonna Japan. be good. Let's go Thursday. It's going to be good. Let's go. All right. Talk to you soon, Jeff. Thanks so much. It's Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show and host of 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Yeah, Women's World's trucks on here, quarterfinals. But it's time for something to chew on, brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Yeah, I think we, got sh- this one. Uh, we should go, I think, to uh, back to the Maple Leafs because it's not every day that Kyle Dubas stands in front of a couple microphones and speaks his mind. Uh, mm. And yesterday he t- touched on a few topics. Of course, everyone wants to hear from him with this ATO debacle that we've seen over the last week or so. But yeah, he kind of defended the actions of the Maple Leafs and talked about how he didn't really care that anyone thinks the Leafs shouldn't have put Jet <laughs> Alexander into the game. So if we can throw to that clip now and then we can chat about what Kyle Dubas said. All, all I would say on, on Jet, uh, to go by, I know there's been a lot of discussion about it that I don't really care what other people think, frankly, uh, um, you know, and what people say about whether he got in or did we do it because this other team did it or why, did, why would you do that? I think the thing with Jet uh, that people should know is that Jet Alexander has been around our program for a number of years as, a, as an ATO guy and as an emergency guy, donates a lot of his time to be there just in case, uh, goes out of his way to be there for practices for other teams and our team. Uh, and the University of Toronto and the coach Ryan Mandel have been great partners for us. And when we, you've been there, I mean, you're probably the primary person that captures a lot when we need forwards or D for practice. He, they always, they're always quick to to have their people come and and um, uh, have their people come and, and be a part of practice forwards or D or Jet or, or other members of their club. And so I, I thought it was, you know, in the end, my reflection on it is it's, it was the right thing. Uh, you know, once it happened, I was here in this building actually. When, when that all transpired, but I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was a nice thing to do, given what Jed has is, is done, volunteering his time with the University of Toronto program has done for us. Good context, because I didn't know that. So did Kyle not make the call then, if he wasn't uh, was in the same building? I'm not really sure. Like it's kind of the life of the ATO. Like you spend all that time, and you do get your moment. I guess mm-hmm. maybe he's more special than the other ATOs, given that he's around longer. But like he couldn't be the ATO in subsequent games. Maybe he was busy. Maybe you got to get a local area kid. I'll never, I'll never understand the ATOs. So I'll just, you know, let's just move on from ATOs. I actually got really excited about real hockey last night, watching Edmonton and Colorado. Mm-hmm. It's time to turn the page on figuring out who the backup goaltender well, from whatever Jeff college says there's team. One more game of that Thursday. <sighs> so get ready for ATO number four for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Great. All right, uh, we will move on because Raptors Bulls tonight um, win. And continue or lose, and that's it. The play-in park is bumping. We have Mike Greenberg joining us on the other side of the break. He's anchoring NBA Countdown panel tonight for Raptors Bulls on ESPN. Um, host of Get Up and NBA Countdown and Greeny on ESPN Radio. Chatted with him yesterday to tee up tonight's big matchup. A little bit of a revenge angle for DeMar DeRozan and the Toronto Raptors. That's after the break on the Fan Morning Show with Justin and Ailish. 
diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So my first job in media, long time ago, unfortunately, <laughs> early mornings in a newsroom with access to stations that I didn't have before, Ooh. namely ESPN, ESPN radio. And I quickly was obsessed every morning watching Mike and Mike in the morning, Mike Greenberg, Mike Golick. I thought maybe, hey, that's a good profession. Maybe I'll try that. Wow. They inspired you, Justin. So suffice to say, it was a pleasure to catch up with Mike Greenberg yesterday. And our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. We began our discussion with Mike Greenberg talking about that perfect little revenge narrative with DeMar DeRozan coming home and hoping to spoil the Toronto Raptors season. Oh, of course. And it's too, it's too perfect of a storyline to want to ignore. Um, to me, it is one of the most interesting pieces of this. Look, the, NBA's play-in tournament has been, in my view, a resounding success, more for the drama that it brings to the end of the regular season. And I guess we could even reasonably say the last two months of the regular season than for what it usually provides itself. To get a storyline this delicious at a time like this, DeRozan with a chance, look, nothing will ever make up for the fact or change the fact that this team traded away perhaps the best player in its history and got better and won a title. That, that will always be something that I'm sure everyone remembers and he has to live with. But many of the games that we get at this stage during this week of the, of the season and during this short uh, sample size that we have of the play-in tournament, almost none of them have this kind of drama attached. So I, I think it, it is the overwhelming storyline here. I'm also married to a Chicago girl and all of I, I worked and lived in Chicago for a long time. So I have a lot of Bulls fans. And this was a stage that not too many of the fans of that team expected them to get to. They've been better uh, the second half of the season. I don't know exactly what their future is going to be. They face some interesting decisions with players who may stay and others who may go. Do you break up this core of, of DeRozan uh, in, in the center of it? Um, and be with all the money that they have spent. So it's going to be very interesting to see what direction they wind up going. But that's a long answer to a short question. That, that is clearly the overwhelming storyline of this series. You describe a Chicago Bulls team that sounds basically like the Toronto Raptors. A lot of offseason decisions, a lot of players that go one way or the other, some people surprised at where they're at. But um, the DeMar DeRozan storyline certainly one that we are looking at with uh, bated breath as the last three games that these guys played. Um, the Raptors held DeMar to only 14 points, which is fewer than any other team that he played this year. Um, I wonder if the Bulls have figured that out or if the Raptors just hold the key to shutting down DeMar DeRozan. Well, I guess we're going to find out. And for some reason, I spaced on the name Zach Levine. That, that's the other piece of the mm -hmm. Bulls puzzle that they're going to have to make decisions about. Do you keep that duo together? Look, maybe this game tonight winds up playing a, a, a big role in that decision. Um, you know, these kinds of moments, making the play-in is a strange one. It's, it's kind of hard to quantify the accomplishment of it. It's kind of hard to quantify how satisfied a franchise should feel if you get through this layer if you win tonight's game and then win on friday all of a sudden you're playing next week now all of a sudden maybe 
you take a game. No, no one involved in this is, is going to beat Milwaukee. But, um, you know, you take a game from Giannis and make it seem somewhat competitive. It could leave you with a very different taste in your mouth on how your season went. So I think that's as much as anything what is at stake here. I don't, you don't need me to remind you. The Bulls played Milwaukee in the first round of the playoffs last year, and it was about as one-sided a series as you've ever seen in your entire life. Not one of the four games was competitive. So for the Bulls and their fans, and, and I'm sure for the Raptors fans as well, you're looking to do something a little bit more memorable at least than that. The um, Bulls have become, I was looking this up before we chatted, the league's best defensive team since the All-Star break. Now, what is the process to making that big of a switch, and how scary is that for a Raptors team? I feel like this is going to be kind of a low-scoring defensive battle between these two teams, but is there a way that you see this Raptors team able to maybe exploit some of the weaknesses that the Bulls have, but not defensively, it sounds like? Yeah, look, the Bulls have been good defensively, and their coach has been a good defensive coach going back to all the, you know, all the way to his days in college. Um, and they have, what they have is size around the rim, which I think makes, um, which makes a difference and, and over the course of a long regular season. Look, the, the, it's very difficult for me to quantify all of these numbers because how good they've been defensively since the break. Yes, important and relevant, but also probably at least a little bit related to the fact that they were playing meaningful games and who knows how significant the games were to the people they were playing against. So I, I, the Bulls are a good defensive team, but this, they're not a great defensive team. They're not Milwaukee. They're not, they're not one of the really good defensive teams in the league. So I don't think this is as scary a matchup as that might, those numbers might indicate they should be. For a Toronto sports fan, I think this is an interesting position to be in because the Raptors have uh, kind of told on themselves at points this season. Yeah, they were trying to get excited about, you know, we try to make the playoffs and we need this experience, but then they seem to go the other way and speak out of the other side of their mouth at, at some points as well. And I, I think the vibe that we get out of all of that is it's, yeah, we kind of know the writing's on the wall. You said it, you laid it out perfectly. You're not getting past Milwaukee. So does this matter all this much to Raptors fans who want to see and are frustrated by this season? and want to see some change. So, you know, wherever this ends, whether it's against the Bulls or in the next play-in game or against the Milwaukee Bucks, something has to change this summer, we believe, for the Toronto Raptors. And I think when we're reflecting on the season, I wonder your perspective on this. What's more surprising to you, that the Raptors have underperformed in the manner that they have or that the future seems so uncertain for a team that's run by Masai Ujiri, who is lauded for being one of the best minds in basketball. Well, look, you're so much closer to the situation than I am that I, in a normal circumstance, I'd be having you on my show to answer that question. Um, you know, from, from the relative distance at which I sit, I, I don't think that the, when the season began, look, I think people thought the Raptors would be a good team. I don't think people thought that they would be a team that would be crashing the party of, of the big boys in the East. There were three big teams in the East, and then maybe Cleveland is on the come. Everybody else has a lot of pieces that they need to put together. The one thing I'll say about Ujiri is he has proved himself to be willing to make the big, risky move. Um, he, he will make the kind of move that, if it doesn't go right, tends to get people in his job fired. Um, I admire that. Oh, I, I mean, I'm one of many at the time that he pulled the trigger on the Kawhi trade who went on the air and said, I thought it was a terrible mistake. Um, and obviously I look like a boob 
for having said that now. So um, I think he's excellent. And I think the, let me put it this way, the national perspective or this nation's perspective is that the right guy is in place to solve whatever problems need to be solved. It is not a franchise that necessarily operates with a lot of the built-in advantages that others may. So if anyone can get it figured out, I think the general consensus opinion of most of the people I would talk to here would be that Masai Ujiri is the right guy to do it. In a similar vein, what's the like zoomed out version of how folks view Nick Nurse around the league? We've had a lot of topics of conversation down here in Toronto about him making you know conversations that maybe this is it for him. Ten years is a long sample size. It's going to take some time in the offseason to think about it. If you look league-wide and zoomed out a bit, how do others view Nick Nurse? Well, let me ask you the, the, the question, if I may, at the risk of hijacking your show. Is the expectation there that he will be back next year? I think as of the last month or two, it seems that more likely than not, he won't be, in my personal opinion. Right. That, that's what I have thought. I, I think that is the perception here, is that it is going to be time for a new start. Look, he did a phenomenal job. When, when, when that team was down in that series against Milwaukee, they, they won a championship without having the best players. They, they had the best player, and they may have gotten – obviously a, a fortunate bounce of the ball or, or more than that with the way the injuries impacted the finals. But at the end of the day, I thought he did a fantastic job. And I think he proved he can be a really good coach in spots. But I think the perception of the people who cover the NBA that I'm around is that that is a franchise that is going to start again building. Well, you tell me they're building around Pascal Siakam, right? Is, is he, is he, the, someday the best player on a championship-caliber team. Is he that level of good? And my, my perception is they'll be doing it with a different coach. But you tell me, is Pascal Siakam, because we don't see the Raptors as much here as we see some of the other teams that have players I perceive to be lesser players who get more attention. It, I, I, it is my perception sitting where I sit that you can build a championship-caliber team around Pascal Siakam. Is that what the fans in Toronto think? I think fans in Toronto would probably say that it's a bit of a stretch to assume that he can be the 1A, the lead dog on a championship team. Could be be the best player on a really good team? Well, that was the expectation this season, that he be the best player on a really good team and a team that would compete, but probably run into a team like Milwaukee and, and ultimately fall short. I think the Raptors have just kind of set themselves up to do maybe what they did previously, which is to add and strike when the iron's hot and just keep a competitive core together. But that sort of song and dance, just being good enough and waiting and waiting and seeing if you could make something happen. I just don't think you could do that forever. And I think this year, if anything, was a reminder of that. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I like it. There's, there's nothing worse in sports than being somewhere stuck in the middle. And I would, I can't argue with the idea that they are that. They are somewhere stuck in the middle. So what, what exactly is, again, here I am asking you questions on your show, what, what exactly is the big aggressive move that gets made. What what does what could he have up his sleeve that really changes the dynamic of absolutely everything for the franchise? 
Well, when we were really dreaming, 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 we thought one day Shea Gilgis Alexander might be able to come here in a trade <laughs> if things were going so poorly in in Oklahoma City that they'd have to uh, you know start from scratch uh, all over again. But it just seemed like that was hope- that was wishful thinking, right? Like the Kawhi Leonard thing just doesn't happen and just doesn't come around every year. Yeah, there are superstars that want out. There are superstars that request trades. They were in on the Kevin Durant discussion at the very least. And if Durant came in, then yeah, you'd probably have something there. You'd have something to work on. But uh, it seems like Ujiri has been trying to ready themselves for a move like that, but it takes a lot for everything to fall perfectly in place. And it might take even more than that. It might take uh, something beyond perfect to have a Kawhi Leonard situation drop in their laps again. That's fair. Look, there are so many players on that team that I like. I love Siakam. I mean, Van Vliet is obviously a really good player. Barnes is a good player. Pirtle, while he doesn't get any attention, is, I don't know, by the, by, the, by, by the standards of what constitutes the good bigs in the NBA today, he's certainly on the higher half of the list. So it feels to me that they have a lot of really good players. So, so you would have to tell me, again, why it is they haven't been better than they've been. I, I, I would agree with you, the expectation – well, look, should they have been better than the Knicks this year? Maybe that Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, forget about it. Cleveland. Cleveland is a better is a better team even than they've played all year long. So that, 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 that brings you down to five in the East. Should the Raptors have been five in the East this year? Should they have been better than the Knicks? They definitely could have been five this year, and I think that's why mm-hmm. people have circled Nick Nurse because if, if you did follow them very closely, as we did um, – it seemed like something was broken, seems like something was fractured, seemed like something was off all year. And I think all year we were trying to put our finger on it, all year we were trying to figure out exactly what that was. And with the recent Nick Nurse comments, it feels like, yeah, he might be a large part of that. And maybe it's worth trying again with a new coach. But even then, the best case scenario, the best coach in the world, there is a ceiling, uh, and you just outlined it there. Okay, I, I like it. Look, here's, here's what I have managed to do. I've taken my guest spot on your show and turned it into <laughs> prep for me. <laughs> I'm now completely ready to do the post-game show tonight that we'll have on ESPN as we have the two nine ten games tonight, uh, including this one. That's our early game. And I am now eminently ready. I hope you guys are getting something out of it because I am writing down everything you say. Well, let's get something out of it here. And we'll be looking at the TV like Leo DiCaprio pointing at it when you, uh, you know, (laughs) mirror some of the uh, conversation that we are having this morning. Uh, Let's go to, uh, I did actually want to go to the other play-in game and uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who is a show favorite around here, good Canadian boy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thunder on the road in New Orleans. This is kind of the classic overachiever versus underachiever. I think a lot of people expected a lot from New Orleans. A lot of people expected, well, not much from the Thunder. How confident are you in what the Thunder are building around SGA? And does that mean they can go to the playoffs this year and make some noise? I'm not 100% sure that whether they make the playoffs this year and if so, how far they go, and they wouldn't go anywhere, obviously, beyond getting through this play-in, is as much of a decisive factor as it is just continuing to develop a core. Look, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is spectacular. I gave serious consideration to putting him on my All-NBA first team. It actually, it was one of the hardest decisions. Our ballots were due on Monday night. I am a voter, and I agonized. Over that spot, four spots on this year's team were easy. We we did it positionlessly, so four spots on that team were easy. Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Jason Tatum, Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's four of the five. And then for me, the fifth one came down to Luka Doncic and Shea Gilgis Alexander, 
And I will confess, I wound up voting for Luca, but my argument for voting for SGA would have been sort of exactly what you just said. Luca was the best player on a team that finished way below what its expectations were. And SGA was the best player on a team that finished way above. Um, I just made this decision a day ago, and I actually i am already kind of regretting it. I wish I had pulled the lever for SGA. Sometimes it's just harder to do with teams in the position that they are. But that said, Dallas wound up in an even worse position by the end of the season. So I'm not sure. And then going back to the previous piece, look, before the season started, we have very high hopes for New Orleans. I wouldn't call them expectations. They were hopes because they depended on something that is the last thing in the world you want to depend on, and that is Zion Williamson being healthy. And, you know, back when he was coming out of Duke, I remember saying on the air that I don't want to be the guy, I don't want to be the middle-aged man sitting here talking about a young person who is going to go and, you know, try as hard as he can to make a fortune and, 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 a, and a legend for himself in the NBA and say he can't do it. But I was the one saying I would not take him number one in that draft because some people have always hurt just written all over them. And he is one of them. I said at the time I would have taken John Morant number one in that draft. Now, obviously, he's had the different kinds of problems this season, which is a different conversation for a different day. But the, the difference between the Pelicans being like a top four seed in the Western Conference, which I genuinely believe they would be, and being a play-in team that has no chance of going anywhere meaningful after this layer is, is Zion Williamson's health. But I don't think that's something that we should ever expect to substantially change. I, I, I think you – I don't know how to attach uh, odds to it. I find it very, very difficult to picture there ever coming a time – when Zion is playing 65 to 70 games in a season. If he does, he will be the most unique weapon I can ever remember in the NBA. And I actually think this New Orleans team could do significant damage in the postseason if all of a sudden he just walked out there and said, I'm fine. But I don't expect it to happen. I don't expect to see him this year. And I'm not 100% sure we ever will healthy, which is just a terrible shame. We're lucky to be chatting with Mike Greenberg, host of ESPN's Get Up and NBA Countdown. We'll be anchoring the NBA Countdown panel tonight for Raptors Bulls on ESPN. So we talked about Shea, and we have to talk about another one of our fan, our fan morning show's favorite teams, and that's the Kings. Um, remarkable difference between the Warriors and the Kings. Where does this one rank for you in, t- in terms of intrigue, and is there a chance that our, our beam team could maybe pull up the upset? Well, see, that's the thing is that they're the three seed and they are, I think, the most significant underdog of any team in the first round. I think people are going to give the seven and eight seeds in these conferences more of a puncher's chance and they're giving Sacramento. So if I'm the Kings, I am super offended. Like I am, I have a chip on my shoulder the size of, you know, I don't even know, whatever a large chip is sized, like because I mean, everyone spent the last two weeks talking about, oh, what you want to do is you want to be six. You want to get up into that spot where you're playing Sacramento. You're playing Sacramento. You want to play Sacramento. Golden State gets that draw. Golden State, the, the arenas are 87 miles apart, so there'd be no flights for the aging, you know, Steph and Clay and Draymond. The whole world has written the Kings off. So if that doesn't make the man, I don't know what in the world could. So do I give them a chance? No. Like most other people, I don't. Um, and I, I think that, that, that Golden State has 
sort of been idling most of the season, and they're going to flip a switch, and they're going to get Andrew Wiggins back, and they're going to look like a team in the next couple of weeks that could win another championship. Um, but then again, it is worth reminding anyone listening to us who doesn't know me that I'm almost always wrong. The things I think are going to happen almost never do. So uh, if you're rooting like crazy for the Kings, maybe the fact that I think they have no chance is the best news I could possibly offer you. Um, I think the big teams in the West are all the teams at the bottom with the experience. Denver, Memphis, and Sacramento are at the top. But I like Phoenix. I like Golden State. And candidly, I like the Lakers. Um, so we'll see what winds up happening. And, and I would even put Kawhi's Clippers into that mix, although they got a bad draw, and I think they will lose in the first round to Phoenix. But, you know, it's, it is really a question of the, the teams who have been the best all year long versus these experienced sort of grizzled veteran star players, and which way does that all play out? And, again, I, I'm expecting it to play out in favor of Golden State, but for your purposes and even mine, it, it would be delightful to see some new blood in there. So I would love to be wrong. Uh, the best teams unquestionably in the Eastern Conference this year have been the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics. Uh, we're, I don't want to fast forward too aggressively, but it seems like we're destined for another matchup between those two with the opportunity to go to the NBA Finals. How do you split hairs between those two? Is there is there a clear front runner in your mind when you look at those teams, or is this basically a coin flip scenario? Let me disagree slightly with the premise. Most people I know agree with you. I give Philly a puncher's chance. I, I, I think that the Sixers, look, if you go back, I, I forget exactly what the number, I was looking at a packet the other day. The Sixers over the last four months, I think, have been the best team in the NBA. Embiid is playing out of his mind. I voted for him for MVP. Um, they don't need Harden to be brilliant because they have guys like Tyrese Maxey, who I think are more than capable of being the second best player the Celtics have not always seemed exactly right to me. Like, Philly gets a good draw. They'll, they'll walk through Brooklyn, and, and there's no travel in that or anything either. So that's a nice, easy way to sort of um, ease yourself into the playoffs if you're the Sixers. And then they sit back and they wait for Boston. And I am one who does not think that will be an easy series. If, if you make me pick it and, and, you know, bet an amount of money that matters to me, yes, I would take the Celtics. But I don't think it's a two-horse race. I think it's a three-horse race in the East. That said, I also then think Milwaukee is definitively the best team. Mm. I, I think the Bucks are the best team. And because I, have, I started my career by covering Michael Jordan. And, and frankly, if there's one thing you guys learned in Toronto a few years ago as well, when in doubt, bet on the best player. When in doubt, bet on the guy who can just put everything on himself. And to me, that's Giannis. I like Middleton when he's healthy, and Drew Holiday is a terrific player, underappreciated player, and has had a great season. Um, but it's all to me, it's all about Giannis. On any given day, he's the best player in the sport. Let me rephrase that. Every given day, he's the best player in the sport, and um, I put my money on him. So I like Milwaukee in a slightly less competitive series than most people would probably expect against the Boston-Philly winner, which I, I guess I will agree is probably would more likely be Boston. Um, look, last year, Boston beat them in a series in which Milwaukee played the entire time without a second-best player. And they still had an opportunity to close that thing out in game six at home. And, yes, Tatum went nuts, and then the Bucks ran out of gas. Giannis ran out of gas in game seven. 
in Boston. But this year, they get the home court advantage. They get the much easier tune-up series um, rather than having, you know, Boston and Philly having to go head-to-head against each other. I like Milwaukee a lot in the Eastern Conference. Mike, before we let you go, we have to say first congratulations on your new book, uh, Got Your Number, The Greatest Sports Legends and the Numbers They Own. And I want to ask you a little bit about what the what the inspired, like what inspired this it's super unique. Obviously, it's doing really well. I saw on your Twitter that you can't even make them fast enough. They're selling off the shelves. You got to keep printing them like a printing press. Um, how the book's been and the inspiration behind it. Thank you very much. Yes, the, the book has been it has startled me. Um, you know, this is the first sports book I ever did. I really didn't know what to expect the reaction to be. And, and frankly, I think more than anything, we just stumbled into a very good idea. It, it came up because a bunch of us who work on the Get Up Show, the TV show I host, were sitting around one day after the show, and we made the observation of how many NFL Hall of Fame quarterbacks all wore the same jersey number, the number 12. And someone in the room said to me, yeah, Greeny, they all wore 12, but who owns the number 12? And that is literally where the idea, like a light bulb, went off over my head. So with great research from my main man, Hembo, um, we chose who owns every number in the history of sports from 1 to 100. And, yes, the reception to it has been great because it is two things. It is sports debate. We made some choices. Some you'll agree with, others you'll disagree with, and that's the beauty of the conversation. But then whether you like or don't like who we picked, the book is really about sports history, which I don't think there's nearly enough of anymore. Hembo did unbelievable research. So you will learn, I promise you, no matter how big a fan you may be of any of the athletes who are immortalized in this book, you will learn something about every single one of them. I will say also for the Canadian audience um, that hockey is very well represented in the book. Um, if you, if, I don't know if you guys have seen it. So do, do you want to guess which hockey players are in it i'm gonna go on a whim and say 99 might be in that one <laughs> 99 is gretzky yes that's exactly right there are three others 66 better be in it 66 yes. is correct 66 is mario lemieux do i dare suggest 88 would be in it 88 is not 87 is a conversation that we talk oh. a lot about mm. but, but 80 but but we wound up going in a different direction on 87, I, I, at the risk of giving it away. It was very tough. And, in fact, I've been doing a lot of press over the last week and a half, and there are a lot of people, particularly in Pittsburgh, who strongly disagree with the decision that we made at 87. Um, and, look, Sid Crosby, look, these are tough choices. I mean, we're talking about the greatest of the great in the history of the sport. I will say one of the two hockey players we did pick was the single hardest decision we had to make. Wow. That's a good tease. <laughs> we gave, I, I, you want me to tell it to you? Or, I mean, we, we... No, we should let the listeners go buy the book and they figure it out themselves. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> now, now that's a good tease. That's fair enough. There were two other hockey players we did not uh, mention and, uh, in this conversation, but and the book has sold out. I mean, there was a moment in time there where on Amazon.com, if you wanted to order the book, you couldn't get it delivered until the second week of May. And I thought to myself, there literally may not be anything on planet Earth that Amazon delivers, which is millions and millions and millions of things that will take longer to come to your house than our book because people just bought all of them. So I put a link up on the top of my Twitter, which is at ESPN Greeny, that you can click on if anyone wants to get it. At least at last check, that was the fastest shipping method 
and hopefully we will have a lot more books available soon. But um, it's been a really fun, gratifying experience, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I think Alice is right. Dangle the carrot. I'm wondering about number eight. I'm wondering about number nine. I'm also, I'm also wondering, rather, about number 27. Alice is a former professional hockey player, and I think she wants to know what 27 <laughs> is. But maybe we'll have her buy the book as well to see what number 27 I is. <laughs> I can say what, one of the ones you just named is correct. Okay. One, but not both. I will guess. Meaning, it was... meaning one of the two that are still outstanding is, is a number you just named, and the other one is not. I'll guess it's Gordy Howe because I think Kobe might have uh, some claim to number eight uh okay this was really fun mike uh we really appreciate it enjoy the call tonight uh and hopefully we can chat again uh down the line you got it thank you for having me guys take care that was mike greenberg host of get up an nba countdown and greenie on espn radio and the book he's talking about author of got your number the greatest sports legends and the numbers they own i did find for our canadian listeners free plug on indigo you have to pre-order it, but you shouldn't take more than a week or two. So he, the link on his page goes takes it to Barnes and Noble, and unfortunately, can't get it as a Canadian. But I did find it; it has been ordered, and I will read it and let you know about the numbers. And Justin, you can have it after. There you go. Uh, I love Greeny, but um, frustrated when someone has a good book idea because I would like to write that's a book awesome one day, and I was like, "That's idea. so easy. Why did I not think of that? It's annoying. It's a great book idea. Should we go get the book? And we will definitely get it ourselves. We already have." That was our insider brought to you by yeah, Don Valley yeah. North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Should be in the mail coming soon. I'm excited to read it and see what number 27 was. It can't be as prolific, right? What if it's me? <laughs> I don't know if that joke stuck with him. No, he's a pro. He's a mess around. All right, we got Shai Davidi joining us on the other side of the break. Sports and MLB columnist and insider for us here at Sportsnet. Um, we're going to talk about home opener vibes. Kevin Kiermaier stealing the hearts of Toronto, GTA, even nationwide. And Alec Benoit's start. And a little nugget from him on the broadcast yesterday, mentioning that Vladdy and the Blue Jays did have some preliminary discussions. Didn't go anywhere. No common ground yet. But we'll ask him about uh, his conversation with Vladdy and uh, where that situation might be going. That's next. That's next.